From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with our co-host, Chris Whitler. Hey, hey. And, of course, our faithful prayer, prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Al, Al Ramsey, with us as well. And an old friend, no, wait, not an old friend, a long-time friend. Long-time. Long-time friend, Gardal Wilson, with us here tonight, and, and our special guest that we'll introduce to you in just a few moments, Dr. Carol Hansen, as we explore a variety of areas of overcoming adversity, including cutting, which we often uh, see uh, a lot more of now, especially amongst our teens. We'll be talking about chemical dependency as well. And uh, Carol just has a a wonderful testimony to provide tonight. We're going to get into those details in just a couple of minutes. Before we do that, a couple of announcements, reminders, those of you interested in seeing C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, the Broadway show starring Max McLean. I I mean, he's, he's powerful. Uh, going to be here in uh, little old Modesto on uh, Wednesday, April 10. That's uh, about a week from now, right? So this is, yeah, right. Yeah, almost. Anyway, uh, the screw tape letters. And but those of you who have read it, I think C.S. Lewis did one of the most masterful jobs of fictionalizing and yet keeping it kind of real uh, about the way the enemy torments us. And about the way he attacks us. The psychology behind it is absolutely incredible. And, uh, we encourage you to see it. If you would like, we have a couple of, uh, discount tickets, uh, left over here at ABC. We bought, uh, a small block of seats. Got a couple left. You can get the, uh, $39 seats for $34 a piece. So about $5 off. Again, that's next Wednesday on, uh, the 10th. And if you're interested, give us a call. 209-544-9571. That's 209 209- Five four four nine five seven one. Also, we'll be conducting a Meet the Needs seminar. Right now, Advancing Vibrant Communities, we have one of the most powerful uh, technological advances there, there are right now in terms of volunteer and event management. And uh, what's neat about this is it's free. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, and this is not a, it is really free. It's, it's complimentary to you. It's a powerful, uh, internet based, um, uh, volunteer management system. We exclusively use it now to track our volunteers and the way that they're serving 365 days a year. If you're interested in that and you're in the Stanislaus County area, uh, I'm holding a seminar on that on Wednesday, April 24th from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., no cost. You know, there's a cost in getting up that early, though. See, I'm not, I'm not a morning person, at all. Like, I don't, I don't function until nine o'clock. Well, you know, and also the fact that gas is down now and food up for a few people. Well, so it's yeah, well, that's true. 
for not, now. Not, tomorrow. Not, not tomorrow morning. I, not that I'm really functional at nine o'clock either, but you know, <laughs> as much as I function, it usually doesn't start till till nine in the morning. Anyway, if you're interested, uh, seven a.m. to eight a.m. We'll be uh, doing an introduction to the Meet the Need technology. It can be yours. You can use it for your church, your ministry, uh, whatever application you would like. No cash. Uh, again, give us a call. What? No cash. No cash. No, just come no and cash. enjoy. Yeah. And then uh, another event coming up in Modesto on Friday, May May ten. Friday, May ten. It's the Chick Fil A Leader Cast, and this is pretty amazing. Listen to some of these names: Jack Welch, who's the uh, former chairman and CEO of General Electric; Andy Stanley, obviously know his uh, family; Mike Krzyzewski, and I pronounce that right. Remember the the head basketball coach at uh, Duke University? Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Uh, and and Sonia uh, Richard Ross, she is uh, a London uh, Olympic gold medalist. Dr. Henry Cloud. I remember the wonderful boundaries books that were written a, a couple of years ago. He'll uh, he'll be on that. Lieutenant Commander Rourke Denver. He's a Navy SEAL and star of the 2012 movie Act of Valor. One of my favorite people to watch, Condoleezza Rice, uh, Secretary of State from 2005 to 2009. She is going to be entered on this, uh, interviewed on this as well. John Maxwell, obviously a wonderful uh, leadership expert. All of these people will be on this uh, satellite simulcast. And the local place to watch it is at Shelter Cove Community Church. Again, that's on May 10. It's uh, from 8 a.m. in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. Now, there is a cost to that. Uh, uh, up to May, uh, up to uh, April 10, uh, if you would like to uh, purchase a ticket through AVC, you can actually get about a $20 discount on it. It's normally uh, $99.95, and you can get it, I think it's for $79.95, but you can give us a call, and we'll give you the information on that. Anyway, it's called LeaderCast. Uh, some great, great experts on leadership will be there to uh, inspire you throughout that day. All right, we're going to meet our guest, Dr. Carol Hansen, in just a second. Let's check in now with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with news of another real-life Jesus freak. It's 1990. Lima, Peru is a terrorist war zone. Francisco, who happened to be walking past the National Palace when it was bombed, is thrown in jail with hundreds of Senderista terrorists. But God had prepared him. Francisco had been studying how to present the gospel to communist revolutionaries. And he does. The year he spends waiting for his trial is also spent leading 60 terrorists to Jesus. The church he started still thrives in that Peruvian prison, standing as testimony to the difference one man can make. But only if you're ready. So, are you ready? How do you respond to the Voice of the Martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. Back with you live here on Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Uh, you know, Chris, uh, we were kicking this around uh, the other day in our, our, our board meeting. In America, we really have it pretty good when you consider our, our freedom to, to worship. We can have this radio broadcast, podcast all around the world, not worry about it. And yet there are places in the world today when uh, the, the blood of martyrs is being shed for the cause of Christ. And uh, it, it, it really comes back to me anyway, the urgency that we have to be about what Christ asked us to do. Love God with our whole being, love our neighbors as ourselves. And we, we got a window of opportunity, and I, I, I think God weeps when we don't 
take advantage of that freedom he's given us. Yeah, we have we have such freedom. And I think that like I think about like the the cloud of witnesses that are around us, you mm-hmm. know, that that can see us if if they could speak to us and just say you know, you don't know how good you have it. It's so easy to get to other countries. You know, Dave, David Livingston on some of his missionary journeys was gone for four years. You know, we, we can take a short-term mission trip in no time. And uh, I think, yeah, we, we have to utilize our freedom and what's available to us while we can and for the kingdom. Amen to that. And, and uh, you know, here in Stanislaus County anyway, we do have an open door with local government. Oh, for sure. And I'm not sure that's always going to be there, but we have it right now. And yeah. we need to walk through it. And partner as we can, be salt and light. Yeah, for sure. Amen. Well, Gardel Wilson, welcome back to Lighthouse Live. Been a, a couple of months, right, oh. since we've seen you last. Always good to come back home. Always good to be back home. And especially having our our good friend today, Dr. Hansen, who's been on loan from us from the great Crow's Landing veterinarian out there. Hospital. Yeah. Dr. Hansen, you, uh, now you got your, you've been to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, uh, you did, uh, your veterinary, uh, degree at, at UC Davis, right here, locally. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I, were you originally from the Modesto area, or does, is this where you landed? Oh no, I, I'm from, well, I'm a Californian, born and raised, uh, but I'm from Atascadero, which is near San Luis Obispo and Bay, and so I'm used to the hills. The valley's been quite a change. But uh, I've just found my niche where I I have been at the same clinic now for 14 years. Wow. And it's a family to me. It, and it's also, um, it's more than a job. It's, it's almost a calling. It's mm. like that's how I do my connection with people. Now, how did God bring you into the veterinary business? Was that like a lifetime thing for you, or was it a later? Pretty much, um, I was raised with animals around, but my parents are both nurses, and the animals were there, but we didn't really call a vet to take care of them. So when I saw injury or illness, I felt helpless, and that helpless feeling kind of blossomed into a a calling to do something about it so I wouldn't feel helpless. Hmm. And then I plowed through high school as a valedictorian and, and wow. Cal Poly, I was a top graduating bio major and for my year and I was about third in my class at UC Davis and it's like I just had this need to know as much as I could. And I love learning. It's a lifetime thing. And did you say you're at Crow's Landing? Yes. So it's very possible, Mike, that she spayed and neutered my cat. <laughs> There's a connection. There we go. And, and how does a cat feel about that? You, you made orange juice very sad. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't forgive us. We found the next visit after their surgery, they are a little cautious. <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> Carol, you've had uh, the opportunity to to see God's grace and his mercy in in your life in a variety of different ways. And and one of the issues we want to talk about tonight is is the issue of cutting. And uh, this is yes. this is something that's come up on people's radar screens lately. Yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of information about it. Can you uh, give us some idea on why people get engaged in cutting? What's behind it? Mm-hmm. And then how do we as friends, as parents, as, as family members recognize 
what's going on, and more importantly, mm-hmm. how do we engage God in, in dealing with the issue? Yeah, and it's, I, I have met many, many cutters. It's an addiction. It, it fits all the criteria, and that's how hard it is to stop because it becomes a, an abnormal way of coping with stress. And it's, it, cutters, they kind of want to show their, their inward pain outwardly. And it also, there's many reasons to cut. Um, seeing your own blood helps you feel alive. Mm. But it, it, you're like punishing yourself for feeling guilt that's really inappropriate. So that there's, there's a, positives and negatives and a lot of inward struggle that it, and it comes out as cutting but the worst thing to do is punish people for cutting if it happens they've got some deep hurt inside mm-hmm. and they need compassion and they need someone that will listen to them not judge them mm-hmm. would you say that they almost don't understand why they're doing it themselves like exactly it took me years of therapy to even figure out why I was doing it so I could try to stop could you um share with us like the first time that you did how were you and where you were you at know, I, head at the time yeah i'm very unusual in that i didn't start cutting till i was in my 30s because mm. i um uh, a lot of teens will get into cutting and and it's like i said it's a coping mechanism and it's where i seem to have backslid to uh, actually a fair amount of cutters have been molested as children there's Mm -hmm. a really strong connection Mm -hmm. and it's when my children were young and I was overwhelmed and feeling vulnerable all of a sudden all these old feelings popped up Mm -hmm. and that's when I started doing it and it was very traumatic for the whole family so it's a a way of medicating yourself so to speak Exactly. To deal with the stress and the, and the guilt and such. Yes. What about family members? I mean, I, 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 mean, I would imagine as if you're cutting, it's, it's visible, but do a lot of people who are engaged in cutting, do they try to hide the fact or, or do Most they want it open? Most of them, that if they're, it's early in the process, they're doing shallow cuts on their arms or mm. something like that. They will hide it. Because, but then after a while, well, at least with me, I almost wanted people to know that I was hurting. I didn't want to hide it anymore because I wanted help. And so I got to the point I would make deep surgical cuts in my legs to the point that I would go in for stitches and get sewn up, but then I would not... That's where I would want it to stop. It's And it would work for a couple weeks, but a lot of times I would get thrown in the mental hospital for a, a 5150, which is the 72-hour hold, mm-hmm. because they would think I'm suicidal. It's, it's not the least bit related to being suicidal. That's an interesting point. That is yeah. an interesting point. A lot of people know that or not? I would imagine no. some would think it's, it's a sign exactly. of suicide. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. It, it's self-destructive but not suicidal. You don't want to die. You just don't know how to deal with the pain. And it kind of, in a way, it, it brings the numbness to an end because when it's hard to explain when you have poor coping skills and you're overwhelmed and you stuff it all inside you tend to just go numb to the world Mm -hmm. and cutting kind of helps bring you back to reality 
It, it's really strange, and at this point, after recovered from it, I can't imagine cutting again. It, mm. it just seems like a really odd thing to do. But at the time, it it was such a strong addiction, I couldn't stop. What created that point in time that forced you to deal with it and and begin the healing process? I got to the point of being so destructive, I drove actually to a hospital parking lot and I severed my Achilles tendon. Wow. And I had to, I ended up back in the mental hospital. When I got out of there, I had to have surgery to reattach the tendon. And by that time, I could not pretend that this was a personal problem. It was affecting everyone in the family Mm -hmm. and it had gotten way out of control. And and so it's, it's being down on your knees and, and like um, crying to God, I am yours. Mm. I can't do this. I was trying to be, it, it's a control issue too. Cutting is about control. And I, I gave up and um, admitted that I really wasn't in control. I was out of control. And I was hurting my family and I always thought I was only hurting me. And I found out it, it hurt my family to the point that they were afraid to talk to me because they were afraid that I would hurt myself if I got upset. But on the other hand, I felt rejected because they weren't talking to me. You know, here, here's a great point, and I want to get back to how the family originally tumbled to what was going on. But let, let's talk about what can families do, parents, siblings, husbands, spouses, what is the best response for families when they realize that their loved one is engaged in cutting? I don't have a good answer because every case is individual, mm. but like I mentioned before, not being judgmental, being there, say that I, if you know that they are, say that I have noticed that you have been doing this, and I am here for you. Hmm. But you can't force them into treatment or healing that they're not ready for yet. That has to be a personal decision. When Very you arrive personal. At that point. You, sometimes you have to hit bottom, just like if you have a chemical addiction hmm. where you get to the point you don't want to live like that anymore. But it, you can't be forced into that. When did your family realize that you were engaged in cutting? Oh, it well, when it got to the point that I would cut myself if I was home alone, go to the emergency clinic and get thrown in the mental hospital and there would be no one to pick them up, the kids after school. Mm-hmm. It was that bad that they didn't know if mommy would be home or not. And that that came out real early. I started actually with little scratches with, say, a buckle on my arms, but it quickly progressed to the deep cutting. Now, was was this something that just occurred to you to do, or had you heard about cutting and and experimented? I when I started out feeling self destructive, I was anorexic. I went through anorexia. I starved myself down to 95 pounds and 
tried to die once by walking out in the rain just for hypothermia. It was terrible. And and then I noticed my children were starting to mimic me. They didn't want to eat. So... And hold it's it. also crazy. It, it my thinking processes were it's so inward focused on my pain that I didn't, and I had never learned proper coping skills. And several sources of pain, I'm I'm gathering right o- over the years had had contributed. Yes, yeah, so it started with being molested as a child when I was around five. And um, having it back then, I seem to have the only parents that worked full-time when everyone else's mom was home nurturing them. We were latchkey kids at a young age. And we just didn't have the bonding, and um, we had some trauma. We still we had it better than a lot of people. But um, I never learned how to deal with things that didn't go right because I worked hard in school and I got my grades. And I, it, like I said, it's a, it became a control thing. I thought if I did everything right, life would be great. And what was the time when, I mean, obviously, because, you know, you had been, you said you'd been in and out of mental health facilities. Yes. And uh, so in there you would have had access to lots of counseling and doctors and medication and all kinds of stuff so uh what was the thing like the what was the thing that made the light come on like what was that point in time where it was the last time for cutting Mm -hmm. or for being self-destructive because it it i did a lot of ups and downs it wasn't a one-time thing right i would do fine for years and then relapse and it, it just meant I needed more help. But even being in the hospital, it's a little misunderstood. I've been in the mental hospital at least three dozen times. I lost count after that. And a lot of it is just hanging out, and they watch you to see if you're still self-destructive. If you are, they don't let you go. Um, but it's gotten to the point there's not as much treatment as there used to be a couple decades ago. Right. Now it's more of babysitting. And, and I'm not saying anything against the facilities. They're working hard, but they don't have the support that they used to. You know, I wonder if there was a, if there's a correlation because centuries ago when physicians used to bleed individuals out and cut them, you know, to literally let out the spirits and the bad feelings and the bad Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 feelings inside. I wonder if there's any type of a correlation of that that passed on, you know, into I, a psychosis. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thought. You think of the, the history of the barber pole and white, exactly. black, and All white. Right. And, uh, yeah. Or uh, rather and red and white, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, interesting question pops into my mind, Carol. Let's say you walk into the, you pick a, a uh, psychologist or a counselor uh, out of the phone book and you walk in and you say, I'm cutting myself. By and large, are they going to know how to respond to this? Uh, are, are, are we equipped as in a society right now to deal with this? No, not at all. There is a stigma within 
I, I found within the mental health profession against cutters because mm. they're so hard to treat. They seem to prefer if you're alcoholic or uh, um, maybe another chemical addiction or, or some other type of self-destructive behavior seems to be more acceptable and treatable. And in cutting, they just seem to be – I found it, there is a stigma. Because you're not suicidal. Right. It falls in the cracks somewhere. It's, 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 it does. Yeah. Exactly. It falls in the cracks. And I, I have gone through shock treatments, um, two, two times gone through series as part of my treatment. Also, um, believe me, they tried everything because I, I wanted to live, but not how I was. And I, th- I think is what I'm picking up is the the cutting is a symptom. Yes. Uh, the anorexia was a symptom. Yes. Uh, the chemical dependency was a symptom. Exactly. And so these are manifestations of a deeper issue. Right. And let's get down to the deeper issue. And and Carol, what made that happen for you in terms of? hitting the wall and starting to c- confront things and, and entering into the journey of, of healing? It was, well, when I hit bottom, when I severed that my tendon and I came home from the hospital and my son, who was about 12 or 13, my oldest, was sitting on the bed and he had wrapped up his favorite stuffed animal in a box and um, actually made his nose bleed and made the sign of the cross on his head. And he said, I'm having a funeral mm. for Steve, who, which was his pet. And it's, I, it just baffled me. He, I realized that I was hurting my family, that they couldn't, they were learning poor coping skills just like I had. So it turned the corner into it's not just about me, it's about them, and I'm going to get better for them because I, I couldn't do it for myself. I didn't love myself enough to care, but I love my family more than anything. So I did it for them, and that's when I turned the corner. And what helped you turn the corner? What, what elements entered your life that helped you on that new journey? I found a therapist that understood me. I found a book called, uh, well, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's called Women Who Hurt Themselves. Uh, I think the author is Dusty Miller. I'm not exactly sure. But I clicked with that, and it showed how it, they call it trauma reenactment syndrome. But it didn't just say what's wrong. It had a plan to recover. Mm. And I read the book. And I was so excited, I took it to my therapist, gave it to him, and said, please read this book. This is me. And he read it, and we started a plan in motion that took about two years. And I was able to completely taper off medications, stop cutting. And that lasted an entire decade before I relapsed. And when I relapsed, I it was when I had severe health problems that the doctors could not figure out. And then my one of my children developed cancer and was going through chemo and radiation. Mm. 
and I fell apart again. But I knew where to go for help, and I knew the process it would take to get better. Hmm. And it, it's all seasoned me to the point that I live life a day at a time, and I'm so thankful for my blessings. Amen. Amen. Gardel, you're you're dealing, and I want to ask you about. I'll get back to this in just a minute, uh, Carol, about whether this is more prevalent in 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 men or women. Uh, but before we do that, Gardel, you're you're dealing with with guys, veterans yes. who have been through hell Post-traumatic and back. Stress syndrome, yes. Yeah, and and you see a lot of those addictive uh, behaviors as well. And I think uh, if I'm Hearing Carol correctly, one of the things that helped was or will help people is unconditional love, the non-judgmental uh, yes. attitude, and being on the journey and realizing the light switch doesn't suddenly go on or off, but it's a long, it's a marathon. Yep. Um, Gardel, what do you see with 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 your guys that you're dealing with in terms of how we need to respond to these people that may be to the average person out there a little bit scary in terms of where they're at in life? Well, we have to understand that these guys are coming back from a very horrible journey. The things that they've seen and done are very, very terrible in their mind, but they knew that they did it for God and country. Mm. And uh, some of them I see that have a self-loathing, a very low opinion of themselves, dealing with the trauma of what they've done and what they've been through. And so um, most of them, we have to build them back up. As, as you say, there's nothing, nothing better than unconditional love. You know, no non-judgmental, and get these guys back to believing that they're of self-worth. Many of them um, they have burned the bridges with their families. Many of them have done on top a lot of black ops missions and different things like that that they can't even discuss, um, and have left themselves just feeling like monsters. Uh, the debriefing that they go through when they come back is totally inadequate because it doesn't address the real issues of this self-loathing of of thinking that they're just we're just killers, you know, and um, so we do as Dr. Hansen spoke of, just all love, continually give them a structure, and constantly are there to support them and reinforce the understanding that they are children of God and God loves them. You know, I think this is so important, Gardel. This whole issue of guilt and shame and the way the enemy takes those two tools and just lays people to waste, yes. uh, implanting the lie in their minds. And, uh, and yet the truth is out there, but you know, often God chooses to work through his people and his people need to respond well. Yes, they need to see God on us. Yeah. They need amen. to see the Lord on us. Again, our, our special guest tonight, Dr. Carol Hansen, uh, along with her tonight, our good friend, uh, Gardal Wilson, as we're talking about how we overcome adversity with, with some things that are frankly pretty, pretty scary, uh, for families that are going through it. Uh, let me go back to my question earlier, um, Carol. Do we, do we find that cutting is more prevalent in women than men or men than women or, or does it not make any difference? I don't know the statistics. I think it's much more prevalent in women. Than men, but I have met many men that are cutters. They just have a different. Um, they they tend to be more destructive, from what I have seen, than the women do. Sure. What recommendations would you make? And again, this podcast is going around the world to a lot yes. of different places. Uh, somebody somewhere undoubtedly, is dealing with these issues of self-loathing, 
of shame, of, of guilt, self-destruction, um, families probably scared, don't know what to do, help isn't available. Carol, what encouragement would you provide these people right now? First thing that comes to mind is to accept that it's okay to not be perfect because there's people sometimes hold themselves to a standard that's unattainable. And God loves you so much. He loves you how you are. He made you. It it's okay to not be perfect because yeah. you're forgiven. Yeah. And that was a huge step for me to allow myself to be human and to love who I was even with times that I just I made stupid decisions that I had to forgive myself, hmm. ask for help, uh, even just um, admitting that you have a problem hmm. and that you can't handle it on your own. Hmm. Let me ask you a, a, another fairly uh, personal question in, in this process. As you were going through those times when you were hitting the wall, things were, were, were getting the worst, as you were looking at your family members, what was going on in your mind about them, about your kids, about other family members as, as you're kind of preparing to hit, hit the wall there and, 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 and the light's going to turn on and God's going to start helping you turn the corner. What, what were your thoughts about your family? What was going through your mind at that time? Well, I always put my family ahead of myself, always. And that was, uh, something that I didn't want to repeat past, not really mistakes, but choices that my parents had to make. Um, I wanted to be with my children, and even though I was suffering and dysfunctional, I gave everything I could to them. I, I talked to them. I openly admitted that I had a problem and it was not because of them. So my family, it, it, I think they were afraid for me, but also they were part of my healing mm-hmm. because I let my kids know that a hug from one of them was as strong a medicine as anything the doctors could give me. I, uh, I have a question too about the role of friends and even faith community uh, in your process of recovery. Uh, I know for so many of us who are recovering from addictions that that, that the the role of friends and and uh, and church faith community can be can be vital. Did, did that play any part in your recovery? Yes, uh, quite a bit because just connecting with other people that were also going through healing from traumas. It it does help you feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And going to Bible studies, um, I met people in, uh, like I, um, one of my best friends now, I met in an eating disorder support group in the early 90s. And we're just like sisters. Uh, I, I've gone to NA and AA groups and met people there that you just connect at the soul. And one of my very favorite uh, places was uh, celebrate recovery mm-hmm. because those are you can uh, praise the Lord for what He's done in your life and realize that He's the healer. 
children now um, as you've advanced in your therapy and, and gotten yourself mm-hmm. to get stronger have they have they also um, healed are they healing too is there a process it's a lifelong process I heard before from a psychiatrist that your entire life is a, is finding out who you are mm-hmm. and my children have done quite well and I think that the open communication has meant a lot and what we've gone through as a family and and then cancer treatment and uh, my children are are motivated but they have they're more centered than I ever was I have one up in Portland that's going back to school in nursing Uh, I have Two that are going to LSU. One ha- is getting her PhD in genetics. Um, the other is getting his PhD in medical physics. Um, and the youngest has a degree in psychology uh, from a, a Christian university. Amen. And so they they know where the help comes from, and it's from the Lord. You, you um, say that this this sickness, this disease, is so um, unique and, and shunned pretty much by the mental health of. Uh, uh, agencies, as you say, uh, are there any special groups such as NAA, like Cutters Anonymous, or anything? No, like that? I sure wish there were. Mm-hmm. But then I have found in, say, chemical dependency mm-hmm. groups, you will find other cutters, uh, but they're not going to admit it right away. Right, a lot of them won't um, it, because there's this uh, fear of being shunned because mm-hmm. it's misunderstood. By the way, we talk about uh, those in recovery. If, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, you're, you're in recovery from sin. You know, as there's just, we have various things we're dealing with. Everybody's in recovery. Everybody. From, exactly. From sin. Like that's and, why Celebrate so. Recovery says hurts, habits, and hangups. Yes. Amen. It's not just substance or, yes. it's, we all have those. Everybody. Amen. Amen. Yes. Um, I, I want to center in on something else that you've touched upon, Carol, and that is, that you cannot just say, I'm there now, it's done. This is a lifetime process. Yes. And there needs to, what, what type of support do we need throughout the rest of our lives when we're, when we're dealing with some of these really, really pretty, uh, pretty, pretty deep traumas? I well, I am one of these examples of you. You learn by doing it the wrong way, and learn what works. And sure. it's different for every person. Some people like to connect closer to other people. There are others that are more inwardly focused, would rather journal or um, pray, and, and just keep that more centered. Um, so I, I find that you have to see what works for you i've done mm-hmm. journaling um i have i'm also trained as a stephen minister oh yes and absolutely. and i have found that just helping other people through their rough times mm-hmm. heals me as much as them Amen. sure yeah, yeah absolutely isn't it neat how although we go through yucky stuff in our lives how god ultimately leverages that it's all been training. Mm. It's training to to be his hands and his feet and, and to help others because it, 
now I, there are things I have seen and dealt with that I never, ever would have expected. But now I understand more and can reach out more to people. And it kind of kid me at the clinic that I'm also the, like a, the therapist for the clients because we hear life stories and what people are going through. And, and sometimes you just need to listen. There's a promise uh, in the book of Isaiah that says, you know, what God is saying, if you loose others from oppression and if you spend yourself on behalf of others, if you feed others, if you welcome strangers into your home, uh, it says your light will break forth like the dawn Mm. and your healing will quickly appear. Mm. And, you know, as we serve other people, uh, that that has been such a big part of healing in my Mm -hmm. life is, is just being with other people. Yeah, for sure. Carol, what uh, what God truths helped you through your process? As as you look back, and I'm not asking you to quote specific scripture verses if you don't, if you don't have them on the tip of your tongue. Uh, but uh, what what truths from from what God gives us in His Word? What what truths really did you kind of hang on to and say, man? I'm not letting go of this one. You know, the, the, these are the things that that are helping me survive this. Yeah. It- in the main, it is the promise of that unconditional love. It is a promise, and he has kept it. And I have tried running away from God, and, and you know, you turn around, he's still there holding you. <laughs> it's hard to run away from somebody that's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I used to have nightmares of running and running and trying to escape and going and going, and i turn around, and there's nothing there, and then I'd feel... God holding me. Mm-hmm. It's like, why am I running? It, it's just one of those deep, powerful. It, it's letting your soul rest, and it. It's hard for me to describe that, but those promises, every little promise, I hang on to. What would it have been like to try to do this without God in the mix? I honestly cannot conceive of recovering. I don't know how people can recover without that the power of God. There's we can't do it. There's that um you have to let yourself go. Let go and let God. There's a, a surrender exactly. that, that has to happen. And that's part of the that. twelve steps. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, our guest uh, tonight is uh, Dr. Carol Hansen, and uh, I, I don't really want to give your phone number out, Carol, but if, <laughs> if, if people have questions, if they're going through this type of thing, we invite you to contact us, and we'll be happy. Would you mind if we put people in touch with you? Carol? Oh, that would be great. great. Anybody I could help, I would love to. Absolutely. Maybe we could even get a Cutters Anonymous or something going. It, we know? can start one up. Yeah. Hey. Well, friends, you can uh, give us a call, and again, we'll treat each one confidentially, 209-544-9571. Again, that's 209-544-9571. You can email us at info at vibrantcommunities.org. That's info 
at vibrantcommunities.org. And you can also find us on the web. You can find us on Facebook. And I'm even a twit. I mean, I'm on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> all, all that kind of, kind of good. So there's a multiple ways you Aren't can you find us. Aren't you also on the AARP uh, hotline there? No, you know, <laughs> don't get me started about they keep sending me this hate right. mail. Hey, AARP. And, and the thing is, Gardal, not only does AARP keep sending me this mail, uh, this mail, the other day I got an email from Hover Round. And I'm going, no, come on. That's the three wheel scooters, right? Well, that, uh, you know, that, that, that really got to my, uh, ego. again, uh, again, friends, uh, we just so much appreciate and, and Carol, thank you for being so transparent. Mm-hmm. With us, I know that uh, that's going to be an inspiration to many, and uh, just, just thank you for for being true and, and authentic and genuine with us. We really appreciate that. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, you you're down on South Ninth Street a lot with a lot of people going through a lot of addictive behavior. Uh, maybe summarize for us some of those principles that we can use as friends, as uh, people going out from, from churches, as we begin to engage those who are hurting so deeply, where do we start? I think the the place to start is to just make space for other people in our life. Mm-hmm. Just uh, make spaces where people can feel comfortable, they can feel at peace, they can feel that, that we love them, uh, they can, they can uh, know that they're loved and that they're in a safe spot. Where they're not going to be judged, I, I just think that's the 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 key to um, for all of us to recover. We all need to feel safe. Uh, we all need to feel like we're loved, and um, we all need that uh, a physical representation of God's love for us. Mm, yes. So not just trying to feel it from the air, yes. but uh, to know from the community around us that that we're loved. It's, it's you know, real. Just, anyway. Yeah. There's there's a wonderful passage that our friend Ross Bryles uh, highlighted for me not not so long ago. It's in First Corinthians chapter four, uh, verse five. Paul says, "Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God." This whole issue, and I think our Western church has fallen into the trap of being very judgmental. Mm. And people can feel it when they come into certain congregations. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can feel, mm, you know, it may not be said, but, but they, they could. This whole dimension, and Carol, you, you brought it up so well, this whole dimension of meeting people where they are as they are. That's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think sometimes we want to have people meet us where we are, or where we, more important, maybe more, more precisely, where we want them to be. Right. You know, they're, they're on, if you have squares from A to Z, they may be on square D. Well, we want them to be at G. So we, we force them into that, but God meets them right where they are, and he meets us right where we are as well. And I think we probably need to do a better job of just meeting people right where they are, as they are, showing that unconditional love, and then let God do the rest. Amen? And he's our example. If the God of the universe meets us in humility mm. and cuts through our shame, uh, who are we to do different? Amen. Carol, you had a comment. Yeah, it's just something we haven't touched on at all, but um, that's where sometimes pets will help because they're God's creatures and they're completely non-judgmental. And sometimes 
that's a start with people is that they have an animal they can talk to mm. and connect with and will accept them for who they are. And once they open up a little bit, then that's where maybe other people can come in. Because mm. it can be hard to reach people sometimes. And, and we've found that the human-animal bond is beneficial for both, Absolutely. the animal and the people. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we see that with a lot of seniors, Yes. Two that that are, are going through struggle. A lot of my vets, um, Dorothy has provided us with a few animals from Crow's Landing vet that have definitely made a difference in uh, my um, my vet's behaviors. You know, and and their uh, I would attitude. They'll curl up with the cat and just um, it becomes their animal. You know, what I mean, I'm gonna have mm. to get some more cats from them because <laughs> <laughs> you know everybody wants their own now, and and I want to be able to fulfill that because when we first started out, we would give. Um, each individual, a uh, fish, goldfish, in a bowl. And just tell them, see, well, let's see what condition this fish is in within the next week or two, you know. And you could tell what's going a great, great judge of that water, the color of that water and the condition of that <laughs> fish, and what was going on with the individual. So mm. it's definitely, Dr. Hansen is definitely right. And it's a proven factor with us. These animals do make a difference. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in back in the, the uh, mid-1980s, um, I was the the first vet to um, go into actually is a Tascadero State Hospital, and that is a, a facility insane. for the criminally insane. Mm-hmm. And they're all men patients, and they started a pet program in one of the wards there. And they they started with a parakeet and a couple rats, and I did their first health checks and started logbooks on them, and um, wow. and, and it was kind of an experiment to see if maybe it could draw out and, and help calm some of the patients in there. Well, pets, as you mentioned, are part of God's creation that he uses in very powerful ways. Now, I, I do want to my, my my dog is a little judgmental uh, <laughs> because my, my daughter Here is, my, in, in my dog's eyes, my daughter walks on water. <laughs> and, you know, that's, and, and next is my son. And then my wife, I am way down on the food chain. <laughs> I, for for Odie, Odie, pa- Odie. <laughs> for Odie, Pastor Mike is good for peeing, and that it's time to go get the pastor. Let's go. You know, get that time to go. You know, but that, that's but if nobody if there's nobody else around and nobody's watching, he 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 will secretly come and. And fellowship. Well, that's not being judgmental. That's just pack order. (laughs) (laughs) You're a little man on the dog's totem pole. You're down the down the list. (laughs) Well, with that, yes. (laughs) Again, Doctor (laughs) Doctor Carol Hansen, thank you again for joining us and and just for for your transparency and being genuine. I'm, I'm sure that's going to be healing for a lot of people. My brother, Gardal Wilson, thank you. It's great always, to see you again. Always, and, always. And uh, thanks to you, Chris, uh, for uh, being on the journey with us here on Lighthouse Live and Advancing Vibrant Communities. Again, you've been listening to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Or the email is info at vibrantcommunities.org. Thanks for joining us this evening. May God bless you all.